Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wassalatu wassalamu ala rasulillah. Allahumma alimna ma yanfa'una wa anfa'na bima alamtana. Continue with the journey of the fiqh of fasting through Zad al-Mustaqni' of Imam al-Hajjawi, rahimahullah ta'ala. We've reached the point where the Imam, he has a section where he entitles it as Babu ma yukrahu wa yustahabu wa hukm al-qadha'. He's going to talk about that which is disliked in fasting and that which is yustahab recommending and the ruling or rulings pertaining to qada, pertaining to making up fasting. Sheikh Mansur, he says in his explanation, The author brought this section about or this chapter about to provide details on three matters. Al-awwal, the first of them, al-makruhat fi suyam that which is disliked in fasting. Al-makru, technically, is that which the, the uh, lawgiver, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, has made forbidden, but not in a way which is binding. Meaning that it's not forbidden as haram. It's not in a way, in a way which is binding. Or in a way that you, that's obligation, it's obligatory upon you to leave off. And the ruling in Usul al-Fiqh of this makru is that the person who leaves it off out of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and following the Prophet then this person, yuthab, he's rewarded. And the one who falls into this matter of makru and does it and doesn't leave it off, then this person is not to be punished. Athani, the second thing that the author is going to talk about, al-mustahabbat fi siyam, those things which are mustahab. Wal-mustahab ma umiru bihi ashari' la ala wajal izam bil fi'l. And the mustahab is that which the lawgiver, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, has commanded, but not in a binding way, that you must have to do it. It's not in a binding way, it's commanded, but not in a binding way. Wa hukmuhu annahu yuthab fa'iluhu imtithalum wa la yu'aqib tarikuhu. And it's ruling is that the one who does it out of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is rewarded. And the one who leaves it off, who doesn't do this action, is not punished. The third thing, the rulings pertaining to making up the misfast. Making up the fast of Ramadan and other than them. And the rulings pertaining to that. The author he says, It's disliked, it's makruh, that the person gathers his saliva and then swallows that. Sheikh Mansuri says that the first of these matters which are makruh, that the person intentionally gathers saliva in his mouth. And then he goes ahead and swallows that. So this is something which is disliked. But it doesn't break the fast. And the reason for it being disliked, that the scholars amongst themselves, they had difference of opinion whether this breaks the fast, it doesn't break the fast. And as you know, we've mentioned before that the humbly scholars, many a time, when they come upon an issue where there is valid difference of opinion, then they make this issue makru to do it. If they themselves hold it not haram to do it, but others do hold it haram to do it, and it's a valid difference of opinion, 
then the Hanbali scholars many a time they hold this issue then to be makruh. فَأَدْنَ الْأَحْوَالِهِ أَنْ يَكُونَ مَكْرُوهًا So the least of the rulings that can be given in this matter is that it's makruh. وَإِلَّا تُعَدْمِ التَّفْدِيرِ And the reason why it doesn't break the fast أَنَّهُ يَصِلُ إِلَى جَوْفِهِ مِنْ مَعْدَتِهِ لَا مِنَ الْخَارِجِ Because it's an internal thing. It emanates from the uh, stomach area of the person and it doesn't come uh, from the outside into the body. The author, he says, May Allah have mercy upon him. And it's forbidden for the person to swallow mucus or phlegm, to swallow phlegm and mucus. Sheikh Mansour says that it's forbidden, as the author has mentioned, to swallow phlegm and uh, mucus and things of that nature. Because it can be harmful and because it's filthy. ويتأكد الحكم على صائم وحد الحكم أن في النخامة سواء من جوفه أو صدره أو دماغه. And this is stressed as a ruling for the person who is fasting that he should avoid this. It's haram for the person to swallow mucus and phlegm. Uh, and this is a general ruling whether it be the phlegm or the mucus is from the internal area of the body or it's from the chest of the body or it's from that which comes from the skull, from the brain area. The author, he says, يُفْتِرُوا بِهَا فَقَطْ إِنْ وَصَلَتْ إِلَى فَمِّهِ The person only breaks his fast if the mucus has reached the mouth. If the mucus has been gathered in the mouth and then the person swallows it. لَوْ أَنَّهُ بَلْعَ نَخَامَ نُخَامَ فَإِنَّهُ يُفْتِرُوا بِذَلِكَ إِنْ وَصَلَتْ إِلَى الْفَمِّ So the person, as the author said, if he, if he gathers the mucus in the mouth and then swallows it, then this will break the fast. وَالْعِلَّةُ أَنَّهُ إِبْتَلَعَ ذَلِكَ عَلَى وَجْهٍ يُمْكِنُهُ التحرز مِنْهُ And the reason is because he swallowed it whilst being able to spit it out, whilst being able to avoid swallowing it. وَلَكِنْ إِنْ بَسَقَهَا أَيْ النُّخَامَ ثُمَّ إِبْتَلَعَ رِيقَهُ لَمْ يُفَطِّرُ However, if the person spat out the phlegm and the mucus, and swallowed what was left from the saliva, then this wouldn't break the fast. So the person spits out what was gathered in his mouth, that's well and good, and whatever is swallowed after that from saliva, that doesn't break the fast. The author, he says, And it's disliked for the person to taste the food without a need. If there's not a need for the person to taste the food, if the wife, she knows that her husband is as he should be, he's quite cool and chilled, he doesn't get mad if the food doesn't turn out the way he wants it to be, then there's no need for her to really go ahead and taste the food. But if he's of the type that he's going to throw a fit and he's going to become super mad if the food doesn't turn out as he wants it to, then here there's a need for the wife to taste the food as an example. So uh, the reason that it's makruh, the reason that it's makruh because you are you are exposing your fast to something which can break it, which is that the food, whatever you are tasting, could end up on your throat or you can end up swallowing it. قال Imam Ahmed, Imam Ahmed, he said, For me, I like and I love that the tasting of the food is avoided whilst the person is fasting. However, if the person does do it, then there's no issue here. There's nothing upon the person. 
and this was narrated and collected by uh, the likes of Imam Ibn Qudama in Al-Mughni in chapter 3, page 125, and Imam Al-Murdawi in, in the book Al-Insaf in chapter 6, page 116. And also there's a narration uh, collected by Imam Bayhaqi and others, and um, Imam Munawi was from those who authenticated it, that Ibn Abbas anhu, he said, uh, there's no harm in the one who tastes the food. So if one is tasting a food due to a need, then there's no harm in doing that. However, to avoid that is better, if possible. The author also mentions from that which is makru, وَمَدْغُ عِلْكٍ قَوِيٍ مَدْغُ الْإِلْقِ الْقَوِيِّ هُوَ الَّذِي لَا يَتَفَتَّتْ مِنْهُ أَجْزَاءٍ So to chew a substance like gum, which is strong, okay? And this substance, the gum that you are chewing, it doesn't break off into different pieces, nor does it dissolve with your saliva. وَكُلَّمَا مَدَغَتْهُ قَوِيَّ وَصَلُّبَ so every time the person chews this type of uh, gum, it just gets harder, it doesn't dissolve in the mouth. So this is something which is disliked to do whilst a person is fasting. And the reason that this is disliked, that maybe something from the taste and the flavoring of that gum that is being chewed or that substance which is being chewed, which is hard, Okay, which is not dissolvable type or the type that breaks off into pieces, then maybe something from the taste or the part of that gum will reach to his jov, will reach to his internal body. And the author of Arraud, he said that it, when you do this chewing of this type of substance, then it brings about phlegm. It can cause the bringing about of phlegm and it gathers the saliva and it causes one to sneeze. Okay, so something which should be avoided. Question to yourselves quickly, who is Sahib al-Rawd? We've mentioned many times in the course from the beginning of Tahara until now, this author of al-Rawd al-Murbi'. So a quick question to yourselves, who is the author, who is the Sahib of al-Rawd al-Murbi'? Shaykh al-Bahuti, Jazakallah khair. And it's one of the famous explanations of this book, of this text, Zad al-Mustaqna'. The author, he says, وَإِنْ وَجَدَ طَعْمَهَا فِي حَلْقِهِ أَفْتَرًا That the person, إِذَا وَجَدَ طَعْمَ الطَّعَامُ وَعَلْكِ فِي حَلْقِهِ فَإِنَّهُ يُفْتِرُ بِهَادَ That if the person wants chewing this substance, this hard substance, right? If he finds the taste of it in his throat, then this is going to break his fast. فَمَنَاتُ الْحُكُمْ بِالْفِطْرُ وَصُولُ الشَّيْءِ لَلْحَلْقِ So the manat, the, the regulating of the ruling, of breaking the fast is based upon whether something reaches or passes the throat. So even if it doesn't go beyond the throat to the rest of the internal stomach and internal body organs, then it will still break the fast. By virtue of this thing which is being chewed, having a taste on the throat, then this will break the fast. Well, and the reasoning, that he brought into his internal jof, he brought into his jof that which should have been avoided. And in normal circumstances, if he brings it to his jof, brings it past his throat or to his throat on purpose, that would break his fast. طيب. Sheikh Islam ibn Taymiyyah, as a second opinion in the madhab, he said, أَنَّ مَنَاتُ الْحُكْمُ هُوَ وَصُولِ إِلَى الْمَعْدَةِ 
he said that the regulation of the ruling is based upon whether this stuff doesn't just go to the throat, it's whether it goes down to the stomach and the intestines. If it goes down to the stomach and the intestines, then according to Ibn Taymiyyah, it breaks the fast. The author, he says, And chewing another type of gum, but this type of gum or substance, which starts to dissolve in the mouth when you chew it. Okay? Sheikh Mansour, he says, uh, Chewing this uh, gum substance, but this gum substance, it tends to dissolve when you chew it. So it dissolves when you chew it and it goes down with the saliva. So this is going to be forbidden uh, to chew if it means that the saliva is going to gather and you are going to swallow the saliva of that thing because it means that you're swallowing parts of the gum and you're swallowing the taste of the gum. So if it's from that type, which parts of it break off or it dissolves into your saliva, then this is something which is forbidden to do. The author, he says, And it's, it's makru to kiss somebody if you know that when you kiss them, that your shahwa, your desires are going to be motivated, are going to be aroused. Sheikh Mansour, he says that the qubla, that the kissing, it has different scenarios. Al-Ula, the first of them, that a type of kissing that which is not connected to the arousal of desires. And uh, this is like Like for example, when one kisses his young children, or when one is coming back from a long journey, we know that the sunnah is you're allowed to kiss uh, a person in this situation. So this is not based upon desire. And the essence is that it's halal, it's allowed. Athania, the second situation of kissing. The second type of kissing is the one with the person he kisses but his desires become strong or he knows that his desires are going to be strong to the extent that it's very possible that semen can be ejaculated. So in this situation it's haram for the person to do so because he's exposing his fast to being broken. A thalith, the third scenario, The third situation is that the person kisses and it's going to arouse desire. However, it's not going to lead the person to a situation wherein they're going to ejaculate. Okay, so in this situation, it's something which is makru, it's something which is disliked. And as we said, that if you leave this off, uh, then you are rewarded. But if you do do it, then you are not going to be punished. That is the definition of makru. The author, he said, And it's obligatory to avoid lying and ghiba and shatm. Okay, so kadhib is khilaf al-sidq wa huwa al-ikhbar bi khilaf al-waqi amdan. Kadhib, as we know in English, very clearly we understand it's lying. And the Arabic definition here is that the opposite of truth and it is to announce and speak about the reality, uh, speak about uh, the opposite of reality uh, intentionally. 
Wal-ghiba. Ghiba is also something which needs to be avoided. As the Prophet ﷺ to mention about your brother or your sister, that which they would dislike you to mention. So this is something which needs to be avoided. Wal-shatam. Shatam also needs to be avoided in the Arab. kalam al-qabih. In, uh, with, in the Arabic definition, shatam is all types of uh, filthy or evil speech. Wa'alam, Sheikh Mansur says, and no, أَنَّهُ يَجِبُ عَلَى الصَّائِمْ وَغَيْرِهِ أَنْ يَجْتَنِبِ هَذِ الْأَشْيَاءِ دَائِمًا Know that it's important to, know that it's always important to avoid these situations, uh, Sheikh Mansur is saying. But when you are fasting, it's even more so, in Bab al-Ula, it's even more recommended or even more stressed that you have to avoid these situations. We have the hadith in Bukhari, where Abu Huraira anhu, he said that the Prophet said, Man lam zur wal amal bihi wal jahal haja and Whoever doesn't leave off the qawlu zur, qawlu zur is uh, all types of uh, evil speech, okay? All types of evil speech. Wal amal bihi and acting in accordance to that qawlu zur, wal jahal, and jahal is ignorance and unable to restrain oneself then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has no need of the person leaving off his food and drink because the purpose of fasting as we know is to train the soul to become a better person to train the soul to have more taqwa of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so if the person is fasting however his speech is not in control nor his actions are in control in a way that pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then he's not benefiting from fasting as he should do Imam Ahmad ta'ala, he said, It's imperative, Imam Ahmad said, that the fasting person protects his fast from the harms of his tongue. And it's imperative that he speaks only that which is good and he protects his fast. The Salaf, anhum, the Sahaba, when they used to fast, they would sit in the masajid. And they would say, صَوْمَنَا We are preserving our fast. وَلَا يَغْتَابُ أَحَدًا And we're not going to backbite anybody. وَلَا يَعْمَلُ عَمَلًا يَجْرَحُ بِهِ صَوْمَهُ And they would never do an action that would cause their fasting to be diminished in reward. So Imam Ahmad is reminding us that it's imperative that when we fast, we leave off the matters that Imam Al-Hijjah we just mentioned. <coughs> the author, he said, وَسُنَّ it's sunnah, it's recommended that when the person is abused, if, if a person is abused whilst he's fasting, he says that verily, I am fasting. He makes a statement to say, I am fasting. And the hadith of this is in Bukhari and Muslim where the Prophet said, as narrated by Abu Hurairah, if it's a day when one of you are fasting, then he shouldn't then he shouldn't have evil speech and he shouldn't speak in a loud manner shouting etc and if one was to um, speak badly to him or to try to fight with him then he must say verily I am somebody who is fasting okay so this is the advice of the Prophet that if one tries to irritate you, speak to you in a bad way, or get you to get into a confrontation, a violent confrontation, or even a verbal confrontation, then you used to say that I am fasting. Question to yourselves, is this to be said loudly, or is it to be said quietly? Should a person say loudly that I am fasting, or should he say it quietly? What do you think? 
Barakallahu feek. And this is exactly what some of the scholars say. Anybody else? Tayyib. So the scholars, they say this, but Shaykh Fahal Matiri, he mentioned an important point. He said that doing it in the fard is absolutely okay. Why in the fard? Because everybody else in Ramadan is also fasting. So it's not going to have any concept of riya, any, any notion of showing off, right? Because everybody else is doing the same act of worship that you are doing. So in this situation, you should say it loudly. However, when it's a nafal fast, then you should say it quietly, meaning you are only reminding yourself. But as the brother mentioned, some of the scholars, they did say what he mentioned. And from the recommended things, from the sunnah things to do was fasting, is to delay the suhoor. Um, suhoor, as we know with the dhamma, it is the action and the sahur with the fatha, it is the thing that you are taking for the suhoor. Okay? فَمِنَ السُنَّةِ أَنْ يُؤَخِرِ الْإِنسَانِ سُحُورِ إِلَىٰ قُرْبِ طُلُوعِ الْفَجْرِ So it's from the sunnah to delay the suhoor until fajr is very close. From the evidences of this is what we find in Bukhari from the hadith of Zaybid ibn Thabit قال تَسَحَّرْنَا مَعَ النَّبِيِّ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ We took suhoor with the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم ثُمَّ قَامَ إِلَىٰ الصَّلَاةِ And then the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم he got up to go and pray. قُلْتُ I said, the narrator is saying, I said, كَمْ كَانَ بَيْنَ الْأَذَانِ وَالسُّحُورِ How much was there between the adhan and the time of the suhoor, the time of the adhan for fajr, and the time that you guys had finished suhoor? قَالْ قَدْرُ خَمْسِينَ آيَةً The duration that it takes to recite 50 verses of the Qur'an, which as we know is a very short time. And also we have the hadith from Bukhari, Imam Bukhari, the hadith of Aisha radiyallahu anha, where she said that the Prophet said, Kulu hatta ibn Eat and drink until Ibn Umm Maktoum makes the adhan. Because there were two adhans in the time of the Prophet, right? <coughs> so he's saying, Ignore the first adhan, eat and drink until Ibn Umm Maktoum makes the adhan. For verily, he doesn't make the adhan until the exact time for Fajr has come in, until the dawn has come in. So this is a clear proof that they used to eat close until the time of Fajr. There wouldn't be a big gap between their eating and the time of Fajr. الفطر, and from the Sunnah also is الفطر, is to hasten when it comes to taking the fitr, when it comes to breaking the fast, the iftar. Taib, Shaykh Mansur, he said, Once the person knows for sure that it's sunset, then the person should rush to make uh, fitr, to make iftar, even before, and it should be done before the salah. Because this was the guidance of the Prophet ﷺ. in Bukhari and Muslim, Sahal ibn Sa'd, he narrates that the Prophet ﷺ said, لا يزال الناس بخير ما عجل الفطر, that people would continue to be upon good as long as they hasten to make the iftar, as long as they hasten to make their fitr. <coughs> the author he says, وقوله على رطب فإن عدم فتمر فإن عدم فماء and it should be its sunnah that when you break the fast, it's upon rutb. It's upon rutb, which is um, the soft dates. The soft dates. فَإِنْ عُدِمَ فَتَمْرُنْ And if the rutb is not available, then any type of date. فَإِنْ عُدِمَ فَمَاءٌ And if that dates are not available at all, then you would break it with, uh, you would break the iftar, you would break the fast with water. Anas radiyallahu anhu narrates in, as collected by Imam Ahmad and Abi Dawood. He said, كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يفطر على رطبات قبل أن يصلي. That the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to break his fast upon rutb. 
okay, upon the soft dates uh, before he would pray. And if they weren't the soft dates, then he would just have the normal dates. And if he couldn't find dates, then he would take sips of water. <clears throat> the author, he says, And then you are supposed to say that which has been narrated uh, pertains to this matter. What he means is the dua, that you make the dua which was narrated from the Prophet pertaining to what you say when you break your fast. So we have, for example, the hadith in Abi Dawood from Ibn Umar where he said that the the dryness has gone and the veins have become wetted. And the ajr has become has been gotten by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's permission, insha'Allah. So you say, insha'Allah. Sheikh Fahad al-Matiri, he mentions that this is muqayyid, that the dryness has gone and the veins have now become moist. This is muqayyid, this is restricted to if it's a hot day. This is restricted to if it's a hot day because that is when the reality of that takes place. That when you drink water, you're quenching your thirst in a true manner on a hot day. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. I just thought it was an interesting point to mention. Sheikh Mansour, he says, And it's imperative, Sheikh Mansour is saying, and this is such an important matter, that at the time of iftar, that people should use this time before it, to make lots and lots of dua and they shouldn't waste this time. Many people they waste this time and this time is a tremendous opportunity. The Prophet said in the hadith in Ahmad narrated by Abu Harair Three categories of people, their, their dua is not going to be rejected. And from them the Prophet said the fasting person until his fast is broken. And it's generally known that the Salaf before uh, breaking the fast, they would exert much effort in making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because this is a blessed time and a time where it's hoped that the dua is going to be answered. The author, he says, It's recommended that the qada, that the fastings, which the fasts which have been missed and need to be made up, that they should be made up um, consecutively, one after the other. Why? Due to three matters. The first of them, Why? Because number one, it's more close to resembling the normal state of fasting. Okay, ada is when you fast normally. Qada is when you have to make something up. So when you do it mutatabi'an, when you do it consecutively, you are more close to resembling the ada, the normal state of doing the act of worship, which is one after the other. Secondly, Secondly, if you do them consecutively, the fast that you have missed, it's closer and better for you fulfilling your responsibility to Allah And it's coming out of the difference of opinion because there are those who say that it's a must to do it uh, consecutively. Thirdly, Thirdly, it's more secure for your act of worship. Because a person doesn't know what's going to happen to him in the near future. 
So it's more closer, it, it's safer for you and your act of worship that you make it up quickly, consecutively. Whereas if you leave it for a long time, you may miss that opportunity due to something happening to you. Quick question to yourselves. Can one make voluntary fasts before having made up the obligatory fasts that were missed? Can you do voluntary fasts before the obligatory fasts that you have to make up? The madhab says no. You cannot do that. You have to make up the obligatory fast first. But one narration in the madhab, one riwaya, does allow it. And from the evidences is this. In Bukhari and Muslim, we have the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, which she said, Kana yakuna min Ramadan. I used to have fasting that I would have to make up from what I missed in Ramadan. So I wasn't able to do that except in the next Sha'ban that came. Ashughul min Rasulullah sallallahu due to being busy uh, due to being busy serving the Prophet sallallahu So Aisha radiyallahu anha she never used to make up her Ramadan fast until the month of Sha'ban came. So where is the proof from this hadith that I've just given to you that you can according to one opinion do voluntary fasts? Can anyone see a proof here or extract a proof from this hadith? Tayyib as mentioned by Sheikh Fahad al-Matriri, Hafidhahullah Ta'ala, he said it's not comprehensible that Aisha radiallahu anha will go the whole year without doing any voluntary fasts and that the only fast that she would do in the month of Sha'ban are the Qadha fasts. So because it's, in, it's not comprehensible that somebody as pious as Aisha radiallahu anha would not uh, make up the fasts, uh, sorry, would not do voluntary fasts until she makes up her obligatory fasts, this is a proof that can be taken from the narration that we just mentioned. The author, he says, And it's not allowed for you to delay your fasting until the next, to delay the fast that you need to make up until the next Ramadan comes, unless you have an excuse. However, if the person does do that, they don't make up their fasts that they had to make up from the previous Ramadan until the next Ramadan comes, then they will have to also, as well as making up each fast, they will have to feed uh, a poor person for each day that they, that they delayed the making up fast for also. Okay? So if the making up is delayed till the next Ramadan without an excuse, if it's with an excuse, no problem. The person just has to make up the fast. It's, if it's without an excuse, a valid Sharia excuse, then as well as the person having to making up their fast from a previous Ramadan, they will also have to make up, they will also have to pay uh, to feed a poor person. We have, for example, uh, Ibn Umar radiallahu anhu, we have Ibn Abbasin radiallahu anhu, we have Abu Hurair radiallahu anhum ajma'in, as collected by Imam al-Hakim who said, Yut'im an miskin. They said that for every day which the person didn't make up their fast until Ramadan had come upon them again, then every day they have to feed a poor person. يُطْعِمْ عَنْ كُلِّ يَوْمٍ مِسْكِينَ وَلَمْ يُرْوَى عَنْ غَيْرِهِمْ مِنَ الصَّحَابَةِ خِلَافُهُ And it was not known that other than the other companions held a different opinion to this opinion, as mentioned by Imam Ibn Qadama in Al-Mughni. So if the companions, a group of companions, like we just mentioned, make a fatwa, and there's no, there's no um, opposition from other companions, then this is taken as a clear ruling, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. The author, he says, وَإِن مَاتَ وَلَوْ بَعْدَ رَمَدَانَ آخَرَ This kafara is there even if the person dies after 
after another Ramadan, meaning that he lived and he fasted another Ramadan, then this kafara is still upon the person. And this kafara is going to be taken from uh, the wealth that he's left behind for distribution as inheritance. So before the inheritance is distributed, then the debts are to be paid, and from the debts that are to be paid is the kafara that we've just mentioned here. The author says, وَإِنْ مَاتَ وَعَلِهِ الصَّوْمُ If the person dies and he has fasting upon him, he has fasting that he should have made up, or a hajj that he should have done or made up, or اعتكاف that he should have done, or any type of uh, prayer that he vowed for himself, then it's recommended that his wali uh, does this for him. Sheikh Mansour, he said, So this situation can be broken down into two further situations. First of them, that these acts of worship, right, like the fasting, is fard. It's obligatory fasting that was left off by this person. So if it's fasting which is obligatory that has to be made up or a salah which is obligatory that has to be made up then there's no way that these acts of worship can be made up. Why? Because these have been obligated by the sharia as an oblig, as, an, uh, as a wajib act of worship to be done by the individual. And if the individual didn't do them then nobody can do them on their behalf whether the person was alive or the person has passed away. The second of them, However, if the ibadah, the act of worship, the fasting or the prayer was nadr, was a vow, then in this situation, a person can make it up. It's recommended that a person makes it up for the person that has passed away. The evidence is in the hadith of Ibn Abbas, that a woman came to the Prophet and she said, Ya Rasulullah, inna ummi matat wa alayha sawmun nadr. O Prophet Allah, my mother has passed away and she had an, uh, a fast which she vowed to do and she didn't do it. She said, O Prophet Allah, should I pray on her behalf? The Prophet said, Araiti, law kana ala ummiki. The Prophet said, Don't you see that if your mother had a debt and you paid that debt on her behalf, wouldn't that suffice uh, the situation? And she said, Yes. The Prophet said, Fasumi an ummika, an ummiki. Likewise, fast on your mother the debt that she had put upon herself, which was the, the, the vow to fast. Fast on behalf of your mother. So this hadith, this hadith of Ibn Abbas, it's. Uh, it makes takhsis of the hadith of Aisha which I'm going to mention. So it specifies and restricts the meaning of the next hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha. Aisha radiallahu anha in the hadith in Bukhari Muslim, she said, Man mata, the Prophet said, Man mata wa alayhi sawm, sama anhu waliyuhu. Whoever dies and he had a fast to make up, then his wali, his guardian, will fast on his behalf. So this hadith of Aisha is restricted by the hadith of Ibn Abbas that we just mentioned, that it's pertaining to the fasting which is nadr, pertaining to the fasting which one had vowed upon themselves. Because as we mentioned previously, just a few moments ago, that Sheikh Mansur, he clarified for us that those acts which are obligatory by the Sharia, then nobody can do them on your behalf, except for Hajj where there's a difference of opinion. So fasting which is obligatory, nobody can do that on your behalf. 
after you have passed away. However, if the fasting was a nadr, it was a vow, then this fasting can be made up. Uh, Sheikh Mansour, he says, And fasting for the dead, on behalf of the dead, is mustahab, not something which is wajib. Because of the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha that we mentioned, man siyam, anhu that whoever uh, dies and he has fasting to be done, and then his wali should fast on his behalf. وصارف إلى الاستحباب and the sarif, the sarif is something which takes the ruling away from being obligatory to being uh, sunnah, okay, or vice versa, it can take it from sunnah to being wajib. So the sarif here, to take it to being mustahab instead of being obligatory, is the verse in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَا تَزِرُوا وَازِرَةٌ مُزْرَ أُخْرَى وَلَا تَزِرُوا وَازِرَةٌ مُزْرَ أُخْرَى No soul shall bear the burden of another soul. So, Therefore, the hadith is to be understood, as we've been explaining for the last few moments, that it's to be done as something which is mustahab. We'll stop here, inshallah. If you have any questions on these points, uh, then bring them up as I continue with another part that I wanted to do for you. Just want to quickly go through a few masail al-mu'asira, taqrijan al-madhab. What this means is that there are contemporary issues, which the ulama talk about, the things which break the fast, and we are going to take them based upon the rulings of the madhab. And this was done and compiled by Sheikh Mutlaq Jasr, Hafidahullah, the Hanbali scholar famous in Kuwait. Inhalers, number one. Inhalers, do they break the fast or they do not break the fast? So inhalers, if it's known that within them they have these tiny droplets of medication, okay, then these are going to go down uh, to the body to the internal organs and this will cause your fast to be broken. This is given the same ruling as that of Bukhur and Dukhan, smoke and Bukhur. Bukhur is like the incense that has a smell which is um, burned in many houses, incense. So in the madhab, if incense is swallowed, if you breathe it in and it goes down into your jawf, then this is going to break the fast. Okay, so based upon this, then, then the um, inhalers also have the same ruling if they have the tiny droplets of medication. Uh, next scenario is tablets that are put under the tongue. So there are tablets that are put under the tongue, okay, and they dissolve there. So if the tablet is under the tongue and it dissolves there, then this doesn't break the fast because it doesn't enter into the jof. It dissolves just under the tongue and that type of tablet, that type of medication will not break the fast. Third scenario, if a camera is put into the stomach, okay, due to a need for the doctor to see what's going on, a problem in the intestines etc then according to the madhab then this will break the fast as mentioned in kishaf al-qina why because in the madhab they spoke about an issue if a person swallows a thread whether he swallows the thread whole or some of the thread is still out of the mouth they said that this breaks the fast so this is something which also uh, breaks the fast however this camera if it was to be covered in some type of grease or medication or something of that nature, if you had some substance on the camera, then by ijma', by consensus, the fast is broken because you are putting something into your stomach of substance. Tayyib, uh, the fourth situation from the modern uh, scenarios is that if a person rinses with medication on the throat to do a type of mouthwash or a throat wash, uh, prescribed by a doctor for whatever reason then if there is a taste which is left on the throat 
then this is going to break the fast. But if there's no taste whatsoever, it was only in the mouth, it didn't reach the throat or leave a taste on the throat, then this is not going to break the fast, but rather it's going to be makru. If you remember, we took dhawq ta'am, we took taste in the food, it would fall into a matter, uh, it would fall into the same category of ruling of that. So we said tasting the food, if it's due to a need, it's allowed. However, if the food passes down the stomach, then that breaks, or if it ends up on the throat, then that breaks the fast. Uh, also, another scenario is that if you take, um, I can't remember the exact word for it, the thing that puts you to sleep, anesthesia, anesthesia. If you take an anesthesia, whether it be a gas through the nose or the mouth, or whether or not uh, it's an injection, then this is okay, it doesn't break the fast, okay? If it's anesthesia, then this doesn't break the fast, as mentioned by Sheikh Mutalak. Uh, injections, other types of injections, if the injections are nourishing, if they are a type that are nourishing, that they take the place of food and drink, in, in the sense that they sustain the body, okay, whether wholly or partly, then this will break the fast. Um, if it's a non-nourishing medication or injection and it goes into the bones or the muscles then this doesn't break the fast okay in fact he says into the bone yeah if it's non-nourishing and it doesn't and it only goes into the bone or into the muscle then it doesn't break the fast because it doesn't go into the bloodstream reaching to the stomach etc uh, with regards to another scenario which is uh, kidney dialysis kidney dialysis which is the process of um, being attached to a machine and it injects blood causes the blood to go through the kidney but if they do so along with this kidney dialysis they have glucose which comes into the into the system uh, then this is going to break the fast if it's without glucose then it doesn't break the fast uh, blood donations are allowed if the person is fasting i think we took this in a previous lesson uh, because we said that the illa that the reason for hijama is that it's ta'abudi and if it's ta'abudi it means you cannot make qiyas upon the illa so hijama is a specific case and other cases of blood cannot be given the same ruling as hijama uh, unless the person becomes very tired due to having given blood or having blood taken from them then in this situation they would break their fast because they have fallen into the category of being a sick person not because it's made qiyas of hijama and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best uh, there's many others to mention, but those were the most important things that Sheikh uh, Jabir mentioned. <clears throat> so there's a question here from somebody. How about breastfeeding women who aren't able to make up their fast before next Ramadan if they miss the fast, fearing for themselves? So in this situation, their excuse is valid uh, and they will only have to make up the fast that they miss and they wouldn't have to um, pay a fidya in this situation and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best is there any other questions barakallahu feekum may Allah bless you all that seems to be all inshallah and I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us a clear understanding of what was taken and to make us from those that act upon knowledge which pleases Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wa jazakumullah khair wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh